We're going to be looking at Mark's Gospel today. So you have one on your table. Please grab one on Mark's Gospel. And we're looking at chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. That's page 13 of the small Mark Gospels on your table. I'm going to be reading from this, from chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains, chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and among, on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come over the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and were drowned into the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And then they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Nigel. Quiz question to start, collective noun. So you know that the noun that describes a group of something like a crowd of people, herd of cattle, troop of monkeys, ravens. Do you know ravens? Yeah? What's ravens? What's a... No, no, no. What are a lot of ravens called? <laughs> uh, they're called an unkindness of ravens. Um, <laughs> dwarfs. What are a lot of dwarfs called? A shortage of dwarfs. Um, train spotters, you know what a whole lot of train spotters are called? An anorak of train spotters. Uh, and demons, what are a whole lot of demons called? Legion. A legion, exactly. Um, so the train spotters and dwarfs might not be real, but the demons, the, a legion of demons, that is a real one. And in our story, you've got a legion of demons that are in one man and all focused on destroying him. To which you might already be thinking, really? Demons? You mean like scary, spooky things, like ghosts, things that go bump in the night? I mean, 
Are you mad? I mean, nobody seriously believes in any of that stuff today. Apart from when we pretend, you know, we're watching a, a box set or whatever, you're watching Vampire Diaries or The Walking Dead. Okay, we pretend, but really, we don't believe in it, do we? But even if you don't call it demons, we do believe in evil, don't we? I mean, sometimes when you hear something in the news, some horrific crime done to somebody, or some despicable terrorist outrage, or genocide of an ethnic grouping, something so horrible that makes your stomach turn, what do you call that? You wonder what, what is it that makes somebody do that? What makes a 20-year-old strap tin cans onto his chest, steal a kitchen knife and randomly stab three passers-by in a Streatham High Street? What got inside them? You may not call it demons, but you know the phenomenon, don't you, of wickedness, malevolence, somebody sort of under the influence of some dark power. And that is the story that we've got in front of us that Joel just read. It, it touches on the causes of evil. It provides some sort of answer to why the world is as it is. And it brings us within touching distance of the supernatural. So let me say, I think it is a scary story. You may actually feel you need to leave the room. This is one of those stories that would have a BBC caption at the beginning. Some viewers may find some scenes in this upsetting. Because here is my first headline this morning. It's this. Satan's power destroys. Uh, I believe for sure in the existence of a personal devil, Satan is one of the names the Bible gives to him. We don't know loads about him, but we do learn something about him from this story. And that is he's got a whole load of demons in his workforce. He's got power, real, in space and time, power. And he uses that to destroy. The story begins, doesn't it, with Jesus arriving at the other side of a large lake known as the Sea of Galilee. He, he steps out of the boat and he's immediately met by this very disturbed man. Look down to sentence numbers two, three, and four. This man here is immensely strong. They tried binding him with chains, but that couldn't contain him. Nobody, nothing could bind him. He, he's beyond human constraint. And in the very next sentence, number five, he's self-harming, not nice clean cuts with a knife but really self-hurting himself with stones and we're told in, in verse 5 as well that he lives among the tombs actually we're told that three times so our, our storyteller is driving it home he is if you like the living dead he's as good as dead his life is so spoiled you might as well say it's over but it gets worse because it transpires that he is like this because something's got inside him. And in the conversation that he then has with Jesus, if you look down to number nine, when Jesus asks him, what is your name? The answer he gives is a, I am an us. I am legion for we are many. His, his personality is so disordered because he's got this load, this, this, he's full of demons, a legion of them. A, a legion is uh, like a, a battalion in a Roman army. 
uh, four or five thousand men. So he's saying, I've got loads of demons inside me. This man behaves like he does because he is sat full of nastiness. I don't know if you're a, a Sherlock fan, but in the, in the last series of Sherlock, um, our hero came across um, somebody that he described as the most dangerous, the most despicable human being I've ever come across. And the name of the character in this uh, um, TV series was um, Culverton Smith, who was a serial killer, and he slipped under the public, under public scrutiny because of philanthropy. He gave loads of money away, everybody thought he was a nice guy, when in fact he was killing loads of patients at a hospital. And he is asked in this program why he kills. And Culverton Smith says, dead people look like things. I like to make people into things, and then you can own them. It's chilling. I mean, he's a really nasty baddie. And the demons in our story are like him. They are intent on turning people into things so they can totally own them, which is what this mass of legions squidged into this man are doing. And if you think I'm overstating it, just in case you are, look what happens next in the story. And Jesus powerfully conducts this exorcism. He tells the demons all to come out. And in number 10, they beg with him, don't send us out of the country. And they get sent into pigs. And, well, what happens then? What happens if you put a legion of demons into a herd of 2,000 pigs? If this doesn't make the point about destruction, I don't know what, what would. You know, verse 13, they up and charge like lemmings to the nearest cliff edge and throw themselves over. People always feel sorry for the pigs in this story. Why did Jesus, why has Jesus got it in for pigs? But let's be clear, it was Satan and his hordes who did this. And look at what they did. I, I don't know much about demons, but I do know this. If you put demons inside something, then it is a bit like the blackest dye in a washing machine, or a parasite in a host organism, or cancer in a human body. All they want to do is ruin and destroy and kill. Satan's power destroys people, animals, anything. Now, in our world, we can recognize power used in the service of evil. We see it all around us. However we may explain it, we know about it, don't we? It's a reality in our world. It's a horrible reality. And this story is just explaining its origin and saying where it comes from. Ultimately, evil like that comes from the pit and you can smell the sulfur on it. And all he wants to do is drag anything and everybody down, back to the dead, decaying world that evil comes from. Satan's power destroys. And that's why the second headline this lunchtime is so important, that while Satan's power destroys, here's the second thing, that Jesus' power restores. See, an outline is a very simple story, isn't it? You've got uh, Jesus meets this man and conducts an extraordinary exorcism. Nobody, nothing could restrain this man except Jesus, who he does, and he does, he can, he does it. And the result, 
Well, look down to verse 15. When people from all around come to see what has happened, verse 15, they come to Jesus, they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who'd had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Get those three words there that describe the man. So first of all, he's clothed. Instead of charging around, out of control, impossible to control, sorry, he's sitting. Rather than charging around, he's now under control, sitting. He's clothed. We we don't know that he was naked before, but that's the implication, that he'd been animal-like, bestial, and it's almost as if he's humanized again. And the third thing we're told is he's sitting, he's clothed, he's in his right mind rather than obviously deranged or confused or disturbed. That's why I say Jesus' power restores because surely that is the picture here. here. Here is a broken man put back together again, renovated. Jesus, Jesus, his priority is to restore this man, to save a human life, to rescue people from the horrible jaws of evil. Back in uh, verse 7, the, the demons knew that the writing was on the wall. They shout at Jesus, what have you got to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, in other words, I beg you, by God, do not torment me. He, he knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus had got it in for evil. <laughs> Jesus came to torment evil. He, he was going to tie up Satan and his, his demons. He was going to set free people that Satan had got hold of. And when those demons go into the pigs, just just imagine it, you know, the sight of them. Here are all these pigs quite happily minding their own business, doing piggy things, eating mud or whatever. And suddenly demons come in and they sort of up and run and it's kind of, come on boys, let's go. And they're charging towards the, the water and presumably they're squealing as they hurl themselves over the cliff edge. The shock of them diving over. I mean, imagine you could look down and see it. Each pig weighing 30 to 40 stone, and they're all frothing in the sea, 2,000 of them. You'd never forget that sight, that sound, that moment, would you? And you couldn't really miss the point if you were the man. You'd think, Jesus has set me free. He's restored me. That was what was inside me. That's why I was like I was. But... Now I can see it's gone. It's gone down to the bottom of the deep blue sea. Very big, kind of visual aid imprinted on his brain forever. Evil has gone and I've been put back together again. I got a friend who was telling me that um, uh, when he was uh, between uni and real life, he, he had a gap year and during that gap year he uh, was doing stuff in Africa and they had a day off on the gap year and he and his kind of uh, gap year friends went to the beach and um, they were on the Indian Ocean beach, beautiful idyllic day and uh, he, he lay on a lilo in the shallow water of the Indian Ocean and uh, fell asleep and he reckons about 20 minutes later he woke up on his lilo, looked around and he could not see land anywhere. And he realised what had happened. He'd, he'd fallen asleep on his island, just drifted out to sea, and none of his friends had done anything about him. And he, was, he could not see land anywhere. And he is thinking, what do I do now? Do I paddle? Well, which direction do I paddle? I don't know where to go. 
And he'd been told there are sharks in the sea. So he's thinking, well, I can't get off the line and sort of swim for it. And so he, he lay there and he said for about 20, 25 minutes, he lay on this lilo in the middle of the Indian Ocean thinking, this is the end of my life. I, there's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm just stuck here. Until, happy ending, his friends had noticed that he'd gone, they'd sounded the alert and a boat came and rescued him. And you can imagine the relief this guy thought, I'm 20, 25 minutes is a long time to lie on a lilo thinking, I am going to die and I can do nothing about it. Now that picture of a human life rescued because the boats came out and got him and saved him from this impending death that he was facing. That is like the story here, isn't it? This lost man, far out, no hope, as good as dead, living among the tombs. And then Jesus comes and restores him, saves him, rescues him, just like my friend on his lilo. So can I just say that this world is not abandoned to evil or to chaos or to whoever happens to have the biggest guns or the longest kitchen knife. Of course, this world can feel as if it is. It can feel random. It, it may even feel like that to you, as if you are held onto, onto by something that is very evil. I suppose it could actually be demons or... It, it could be some terrible addiction or illness or some vicious circle of cause and effect. Something that feels a bit like a leech that's sucking the lifeblood out of you. The world may feel to you very out of control. Or it may be perhaps a bit more prosaically. It may just be that feeling that you can't be the person you'd like to be. I guess we all have that kind of feeling, don't we? We just don't live up to our own standards can't seem to do the good that we want and it feels like we're in this vicious circle why is it that I do stuff I don't like I don't I don't admire I, I, why am I a jerk sometimes but you see this man had exactly that situation he was not in control and he met Jesus whose power whose extraordinary power power that's strong enough to top trumps Satan his power restored order to this man's chaos. Jesus used his power to save, so that there, once again, there was this man, verse 15, now sitting, clothed, and in his right mind, restored. So let me finish by just asking you this question. What's your story? So we thought about how Satan's power destroys. We thought about how Jesus' power restores What's your story? And what I mean by that is this, that there are two versions of what happened that day. Consider first the people of verse 14. They haven't seen what has happened, because they were off stage somewhere, but somebody goes and tells them all about it. The pigmen go and tell them. And so the people come out, they come running out, and they see this restored man in verse 15, sitting, clothed in his right mind. And what's their reaction? Well, look at the very last word of that verse. They're afraid. They're told the story again in verse 16, and this time their reaction in number 17 is, they beg Jesus to go. What's their story when they hear it about this man? Fear and go away. Which begs the question, why? Why do they want Jesus to go? 
Was it because of the pigs? Could have been, you know, we've lost our livelihood. You're not the kind of person we want around here messing up our cottage industry, our economic stability, our way of life. Go away. Uh, was it racism? It could have been. Um, all this story happens with Jesus away from home in a different region. Maybe they didn't like immigrants, holidaymakers. Was it maybe finding power scary? A man who can restore life to somebody who is as good as dead, that is a very scary kind of power. Maybe they're just saying, that's too frightening, go away. But the other story is the man, the artist formerly known as Legion, who is now sent off, verse 19, with a very simple, just go and tell people what happened. I can't think there's much danger he wouldn't actually go and tell people what has happened. Of course he's going to say, look what Jesus has done for me. I met this bloke who used his power to restore me. Look how different I am. And of course his story actually is the story of every Christian. Jesus' power restored me. He set me free from Satan who was intent on dragging me down. All he ever wanted to see was me dead, destroyed forever. But Jesus walked into my life, picked me up from sin and death and hell. He restored my thinking, my entire way of life. He turned everything the right way up. I was, if you like, born to a brand new life. That's my story and I'm telling what Jesus did for me. So here's my question again. What's your story, Balamori? What's your version of this Jesus thing? What's your attitude to him? Is it talk to the hand, you know, push off? Or is it talk to your friends? Is it a yes, please, of course I want to see evil overthrown in this world, in people's evil intent in me and in my heart I'd love to see that evil overthrown yes that would be very good of course I mean obviously totals isn't that the world we all want not a world marked by death and decay not a world where we're scared because of evil but a world rightly ordered and under control and sorted and good of course that's what we want Or is your story, as the other people in this story, uh, no thanks, go away, I don't want you in my life. I'm, I'm amazed how many people who are not Christians say no thanks to Jesus on the most slender hearsay. Somebody told me once that apparently Jesus doesn't like pork, so I couldn't possibly be a Christian then. I mean, what a ridiculous reason. People reject Jesus because when they were little children, in the time when they thought that the moon was made of blue cheese, they decided they didn't want to be a Christian without ever thinking about it. I think when you look at a story like this, you think, hang on, this this kind of explodes my categories of what I thought Christianity was all about. This is kind of sorting the world sort of thing. This is evil overthrown. This is somebody whose power is obviously strong enough And a person who is obviously willing to overthrow evil and make things good. That is a good story. If you're not a Christian, you ought to turn to your Christian friend and say, what is your story? That's what this guy at the front said, that Jesus' power restores somebody's life. Is that what he's done for you? Tell me about it. How did that happen? What's it look like for you? Didn't know you had 
2,000 demons inside you or whatever. Get them to tell your story. If, if you are not a Christian, do some thinking about who this Jesus is because if there is any truth in these claims, then this is an extraordinary thing we're hearing, isn't it? There's no saviour more complete, no restoration no more thorough, no sorting out of the broken world more comprehensive, no Lord more worth speaking about than this Jesus, is it? If he restores what is messed and broken in our world. So, Satan's power destroys. There's something about the reality of evil and its origin. Jesus' power restores the most extraordinary story of human life put back together again. And a simple question, what's your story? Talk to the hand or talk to your friends? Seems to me those are the options in this story. Well, thank you very much for listening and thank you for coming in the middle of a busy day.